Hi, I'm Lisa Morton, founder of Roland Ransville PR, and this is our We Built This City podcast. This podcast is made of the conversations of the Mancunians born, bred and adopted that put the heart into modern Manchester. We're a city that rebuilt itself literally after the IRA bomb exploded in Manchester city centre in 1996. And we found ourselves in the middle of a different type of crisis now with the spread of coronavirus. These conversations were recorded a few months ago, but every single one demonstrates that we rebuilt this city once and we will build it again. We love Manchester and we know it thrives because of the people that come together day in, day out. People like my guest, Sasha Lord, Manchester's nighttime czar. We're all sort of interconnected. Someone told me something once about there's a seven-step rule or an eight-step rule or how you can get to someone. I think in Manchester it's a two-step rule. Sasha Lord has contributed to building this city from the nighttime up. He's Greater Manchester's first ever nighttime economy advisor and a music entrepreneur behind the warehouse project and part life. We recorded this interview at the end of February, just after we found out that Caroline Flack had very tragically passed away, and before we had to cancel Part Life because of social isolation. And when you listen, you'll see why this is all relevant. At the end of this episode, I catch up with Sasha to see how he's doing now, and how he's continuing to build this city in these times. But first, here's the story of Manchester at night. Sasha, thanks so much for joining us on We Built This City. No, not a problem. So my first question to you is, what, in your view, makes a great party? What makes a great party? So, I mean, we can, when I say we, myself and my business partner, Sam and Rich, we can go to great lengths in Sam Chooser to write artists, um, you know, the production. Every single year we try and better the production than previously. But I think ultimately, and this sounds really corny, we're really lucky to operate in Greater Manchester because it's the people that make the party. You know, you can go all over the world and there's something about Manx. We've always had this swagger, um, you know, and we're up for a party. You go to other cities and it's all about what you wear and how you look and everybody's orange. And that's not the case in this city, Um you know, we're at Mayfield now we have every Friday, every Saturday during Wales Project season, 10,000 customers. We don't get any incidents. You know, mm. they're just there for the party, there to have a good time. And, yeah, we're really lucky that we were both born here. I was at university in Birmingham. We used to all come on the bus to go clubbing in Manchester. <laughs> it just was not the same in Birmingham at no. all. Um, it's well documented that you left um, university without any quali- You left school without any qualifications. Um, I think I was more pushed down to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so you went to Manchester Grammar. Yes. Yeah. So, but you, so you left a, a mark there. I mean, is, do you think it's down to some of the Manchester's grit and determination that you just thought, sod it, I'm gonna? No. So um, again, it, it's my life has purely been a fluke and luck. So when I was in the sixth form, it was the, the period that we describe as Manchester. Mm-hmm. So the whole world was looking at what we were doing. They, you know, you can reference factory. Hacienda, New Order, Roses, Mondays. Um, every single city in the world was looking at what was coming out of Manchester, not just the music, but our fashion as well. I did have a pair of flare jeans. Um, <laughs> and that, to me, was far more interesting than English lit or English language or you know other subjects. I just found academic stuff boring. I just lived for the weekend and to hear the music. Um so, yeah, it's, it's true. I left with two U's and an E. I was actually offered a position at Art Foundation. That was the only thing I liked, art, but I needed two E's. Um, and clearly I didn't get it. Ironically now, 
I spend most of my time in the university or in, in the Met giving, uh, you know, talks mm-hmm. and lectures and things. And although I was kicked out of MGS, Manchester Grammar, they've now got my picture on, on the corridor, <laughs> which I find really weird. <laughs> it's actually near Ben Kingsley, really? who played Gandhi. That's yeah. right, incredible. Um, so I'm quite proud of it, actually. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. Do you look for... My mum and dad weren't. <laughs> no, for sure. <laughs> oh, that's quite a lot of money to go through that and yeah. come out with a, a you. Um, what do you look for in the young people that come and work for you now, though? Are you, are you not actually that impressed by qualifications? Is it attitude? You know I, or... I, I've not once ever read a CV. No, that's a lie. I do read CVs, but I'm not interested in qualifications. Um, because let's face it, you can lie, can't you, qualifications? Mm. Um so for me, you just look at the very bottom bit, extracurriculum activity, um, what their interests are, what their passions are, and also just sitting there for me and having a 30-minute conversation with somebody. I have to get on with somebody um, if they, they work in the office, and you can always tell them that 30 minutes. To me, that's far more important. Mm. And do you think there's um, a kind of a certain type of characteristics from a from a Mancunian, um, from a young person? Do you think there's kind of we've got certain qualities here that are notable? I think this city is very ambitious, and I think that's because. Um, but I get asked why do we think this is the, the party capital of the UK a lot and why do we get this ambition? And I honestly believe it's when you look back at the 60s and 70s, the North was neglected and it still is neglected now. You've only got to look at the transport that Andy Burnham talks about every day. But Manchester and Liverpool were left far behind Um you know, it was pretty bleak. It was very grey in, in that period. Obviously, I wasn't born in the 60s, but I'm told. Um, so we created our own parties, our own entertainments, and we created our own ambition. And I think it comes from that. Um, someone who came to my office for some work experience four years ago is now head of marketing. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's I, I like things like that. Um, just to nurture people and to stick with people and give people the opportunity and the chance. What kind of qualities do you look for somebody that joins your team? You have to be mental. <laughs> That's uh, most important. And uh, believe it or not, we do encourage that you go out and enjoy the party. Right. Um, you know, I can't go out and party anymore. Sam doesn't go out. Well, he actually does. But you have to get real feedback from the dance floor and the kids in the office do that. And I think it's really true because we kind of look back and think a lot of the relationships that we've built over the years were actually formed on nights out. So a lot of our mates were people that we used to go clubbing with. And that's yeah. that's where a lot of friendships are made, aren't they, really? They're so all, all made on the dance floor. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. If you want to know how to build a community that dances on tables, you can find out right here on the We Built This City podcast. What led you to um, setting up Can The Warehouse Project? Was that a dream of yours always to be in the music industry then or...? No. Um, so I've always loved music mm. and um, I start, my first night was the 4th of July 1994, put a, a student party on at the Hacienda. And from that, you know, I was lost. I didn't really have anything. I didn't have a career to follow. But that student night paid a few bills um, that were escalating. So I then looked for another nightclub um, to hold us in because there was already a student night at, at the Hacienda. And there's one called Home Nightclub on Juicy Street who, that Tom Bloxham owns from Earth and Splash. So Tom gave me an opportunity to have a weekly night, a Tuesday night called Insomnia. And it was great. It was three rooms, different music in each room, and we're getting like 1,200, 1,300 people every single week. 
And from that, I did seven years of student nights and then reopened Sankey Soap 2000, 2006. But the problem with Sankey's, for me, the first three years were great. And then it was just boring. It was the same four walls week in, week out. So you'd put the same DJs on. Um, and then we had some incredible DJs that played for us, Chemical Brothers and things, but it was just, you couldn't do anything creative with it. And in 2003, my business partner at the time and I put on a party in a disused warehouse where they actually filmed 24-hour party people. Um, and it was great. We had 12,000 people and we drove the, the sound system in on the back of trucks and everything was just really, really temporary. And I don't think anyone thought we'd actually get the licence. It was the first licence that was granted since Thatcher shut down all the illegal raves. And um, they, they put up so many barriers that I think the authorities thought they're not going to do this. Mm. You know, they insisted we build a staircase, ridiculous staircase that 5,000 people could get down. But we actually, we did it. Um, and I think it was probably the week before they just thought, oh, shit, this thing's going to happen. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it happened. And I think that probably, in fact, Sam and I spoke about it last week, that probably was the inception of the warehouse project that started off in 2006 at Boddington Brewery. Mm. And was there any kind of financial risk for you at the time? Was there any kind of sleepless nights over whether you're going to make ends meet? Or? Uh, absolutely. So the first year, our houses were, were completely on the line. Mm. Um, it was a huge financial risk and no one actually thought we'd pull it off. And including ourselves, we had doubts as well. So I think at that age, if things don't quite go right, you're young enough to be able to mm. brush yourself down and restart again. But yeah, looking back now, we would certainly not take that risk now at this stage in our lives. Um, mm. But we did it. People thought it wouldn't work, but we sold 100,000 tickets. And we never intended to do year two. It was just a project. It was a warehouse project. That was it. Um, and we, we came out with this tagline for 12 weeks, this city is ours. And it was supposed to just be 12 weeks. Mm. And yeah, we're stuck with that. So, uh, Amazing story. Um, what about then uh, part life? When when can you imagine? Can you remember the time when he kind of sat back and thought, you know, let's do this? What was the? I don't know. I remember exactly. So I stood in my hallway um, at home, uh, the house before I've got now, and there was a student party that was going to take place in Platfields called Mad Ferret, mm. and they'd run out of money and they hadn't sold enough tickets, and they asked whether um, I'd lend them quite a lot of money, and I said. Actually, guys, you know, you're going to make a loss, so there's no way I'm going to get this money back, so I'm afraid I'm not going to do it. Anyway, they put the show on and it didn't work for them. And I think there were five of them. To be fair, two of them are now still involved um, in a small capacity in park life. Um, and they paid the debts off. The other three guys ran away from it. Um, so we saw there was definitely demand for an end-of-year student party. Um and we thought we could bring in better logistics, better infrastructure, better lineup. And yeah, in 2010, we did a one-day event, 20,000 people, which I actually think Calvin Harris headlined. Um, but yeah, we sold out 20,000. And then we turned this into two days and then were bulging the seams with 30,000 in Platfields. So I wanted to move it to Withenshaw Park. Mm -hmm. And for a few different reasons, it didn't work out. The council couldn't make it happen. So they said, well, why don't you do Heaton Parks? We've had Oasis there and Stone Roses. We know there's drainage and infrastructure there. And we were both quite reluctant. 
So when you go around now and you see the billboards with our adverts around the city and stuff, that was part of the deal. They said to the council, OK, we'll do it, but you need to give us a bit of space to advertise. And um, yeah, we're now the biggest metropolitan festival in the UK at 80,000 people a day. Incredible. And you said um, that the council have been really supportive. You found them the whole kind of way through with Warehouse Project and Part Life. Do you know what? They have been so supportive. Um, they've never said no. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because this is what this city does really well. They look back at the years when, I referenced before, everybody was looking at what we were doing and they saw how much tourism was coming to this city and how much it was benefiting the economy, especially the nighttime economy. Um, so they get it, you know, with... Warehouse project, we sold 242,000 tickets between September, end of September and January the 1st last season. And it brought millions into the city. Mm. Um, I know certainly it was north of 10 million that we brought really? in. Yeah, yeah and, and these aren't our figures, that's their figures. So, you know, nighttime economy is really important and they've supported it from day one. Mm. Whereas other cities, you referenced Birmingham before, you know, they don't have the same viewpoint. Mm. A lot of people see the nighttime economy as uh, a bit of a ball ache. They automatically think antisocial behaviour order, you know, uh, alcohol, people being sick on the streets, urination. And yeah, there are the negatives, but there are huge, huge positives that come with it. Mm. So I think and the City Council here will kind of look at that as the, the bigger picture, won't they? Yeah. F- figure out how to kind yes. of mitigate those yeah. byproducts of that. Yeah. I love the um, content you did, the reveal for the lineup this year. Yeah, so every year we always kind of tease people with something that's coming and it's either it works or it goes over people's heads. So three years ago, we just put posters everywhere with um, retro Nike trainers on and that was to sort of indicate we had Frank Ocean. No one got it. Um, <laughs> so that was a waste of money. But this year we decided just to get an empty room, Capital and Century lent as a room actually, Tim. Um, got an empty room, which is just a chair and a laptop and we invited 20 people to come in. So the camera was just looking at their reaction when they first saw the lineup, and yeah, it was interesting. It was a good result. So it was just that went out two, three days before the actual lineup did, and it just hypes everybody up. What would you say supported you in your early years of your career? So obviously, you know, you were doing some pretty kind of out there stuff, taking big risks. Was there yeah. anything? What got you through those challenging moments? Not just both Sam and I were just always wanted to be the best um, and I think it was just pushing through that and don't get me wrong I could sit here now and give you a list a long list of you know failures that we've had over the years um, or really sticky tricky dark moments but luckily for us we're remembered more for the, the brighter moments so yeah it's just wanting to better ourselves year on year really mm. that's that what gets us out of bed. Were your parents supportive of the of the career? Well, my, my dad died when I was quite young, so 16, so he didn't see it. Um, and I think my mum just, I think she gave up after my levels, to be honest. <laughs> so I think You're on your own Yeah, then. I'm on your own. Yeah, she's always, I think she's proud. Um, I'm not on Facebook, but I hear from people, she puts articles up and stuff like that. So, really? Yes, I think she's, she's quite proud. But, um, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> and do you think it's important now to help young people get on their careers? I know that's something that you're really totally. you're known for. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I spend a lot of time now. It's not like I'm passing the baton on, but I really do get a kick out of seeing, um, you know, young young kids start their own nights up, and and you know, I love going to colleges and speaking to people and just giving maybe a bit of hope because mm. you know, getting qualifications isn't everything. It's just a certificate at the end of the day, and yeah, it's great to go to university, but 
and I'm not saying don't go to university, but I know so many people who've gone and they just leave with a load of debt and that, you know, they're not particularly happy with the jobs that they got after. So there are so many different ways of, of going about creating a living. I think it's important to have um, for businesses to kind of have that opportunity for people to come in and do work experience or internships. Shadowing, yeah, totally. It's so definitely. important. It really is. We have um, RD Futures now, which one of our younger members of the team runs. It's, it's kind of revolving door, really, people coming in because otherwise, you know, where they're going to get that experience from? And that's what we look on a CV. Yeah, it's not the the um, qualifications; it's what they've done outside and the relationships they've they've formed. It's good to look at experience, but sometimes when you're looking at a CV of, of an eighteen year old, they don't have the opportunity for experience so then it's just uh, as I said before trying to feel their ambition and their creativity you know just from having an honest sensible chat with them you get that way. If you're loving We Built This City please could you take the time to leave a five-star review on your podcast platform. Thank you. Can you just tell us more about your nighttime, um, the, the czar role now that's, and how that's evolved? Because obviously that's kind of changed quite a bit, hasn't it, over the, the past kind of 18 months or so for you? Yeah, so I was, um, over the 25 years of being a, a promoter or event organiser, I was always really frustrated that um, sometimes I call them the suits, people that sit and make decisions behind dark wooden desks. And they generally smell of mothballs as well. <laughs> Don't understand fully the nighttime economy. Um, and when I realised we were getting our first ever elected mayor, I went to some of the hustings and my idea was to create almost a panel of people who could advise the mayor, very much like London has um, Eamon and May, the night, night czar. But we'd have a panel in Greater Manchester um, and I asked all the, the relevant candidates whether they'd support the idea and they all did um, because it's the fifth biggest industry in the whole of the UK and we um, employ north of 10% of the whole of the UK workforce so it's it's kind of a big deal mm-hmm. um, and luckily for us Andy won um, and yeah it, conversations started we had a few meetings and I think it probably came together because of the tragedy at the MEN the 22nd of May um, 17 two weeks later I invited him on stage to do a tribute to Park Life mm-hmm. and we had a lot of the first attendees on there like paramedics, fire, police even local residents, taxi drivers councillors um, and Andy made this really impassioned speech and, and considering there's 80,000 people there you could hear a pin drop um, and then he welcomed Matty on from the 75s and the whole place erupted mm-hmm. but I think that solidified the conversations and almost 12 months after he asked me to take the role on um, which I accepted and every single time I've gone to him with a, a, an idea that's sensible, because I do have some stupid ideas, but every time I've had a sensible idea, he's completely supported it. For instance, the, the Metrolink pilot that ran through December of extending the, the trams for an hour, um, you know, I know that cost money, mm. but it's seen results. Um, a few of the negative people, the Aggie people, said, oh, he's going to be anti such behaviour order, there was nothing, not one incident. Um, so, yeah, I've gone to him with a, with a few different things. He asked me actually to produce um, a blueprint, which was my vision for the last 12 months, which we've done and completed. It's in the public domain. Safety appears as number one, connectivity, transport, diversity, inclusivity. Um, and I just want to bring all the 10 boroughs together mm-hmm. because for me it's not just about city centre. And I've had this be in my bonnet for quite a while when people say and I say it as well I'm at fault I'm going into town 
you know, that means I'm going into the city centre. Yeah. And actually, I live near Altrincham. Going to town should be going into Altrincham, mm. supporting my local town. Mm. So, yeah, we've got some great, great leaders across Greater Manchester, um, Sean in Oldham, Allison in Wigan. And, you know, their Stockport is, is on a fantastic curve at the mm. moment. Um, and, yeah, they're, they're all really supportive. And as a parent, I've got um, teenage kids, one twenty-one year old, but they've they've both worked in nighttime time economy. And as a parent, you know, not only if they're going out clubbing, but if they're coming back, they've got to get back from a shift. It either doesn't make it um, viable financially, or you're worried about them how they're going to get back home. Um, so you know, that for me is, is you know something is great. And I know you did the safe haven, didn't you? Is it the, the, the... Did, did, yeah, we've done the um, the first safety havens were in Wigan. But just going back to that point you made, one of the first things I did was to hold a listening exercise with employees right. of the nighttime economy. Mm. And I spoke to um, an 18-year-old woman who worked in a city centre venue. And you're quite right, normally people that work in, in bars or clubs, um, generally is part-time, mm. and they get paid living wage at best. So she'd finished the shift and it wouldn't be viable for her to get a taxi back to where she lived in North Cheatham Hill. So she would walk at four or five in the morning back home to North mm. Cheatham Hill. So, and straight away I thought, well, there's something that needs to be done about that because why people who working nine to five okay we've not got the best transport but there is something there why isn't that available for people that uh, finish work in the early hours in the morning which across gm this i think it's four hundred and fourteen thousand people um but yet we also trialed a pilot um in wigan for a safety haven over the christmas period mm-hmm. in december actually every saturday and the idea of that is if you become um if you've had too much to drink and your friends think you don't need to waste the time in A&E where you sober mm. up. Um, you can go and sit in there with trained paramedics. It might be something as simple as you want to phone your mum and dad, but or you've lost your friends, you, you've got no battery on your phone, you can just charge it in there. There's people that just, if you feel a bit anxious, you can have a chat or grab a, a free water or a hot cup of tea or something. And it worked really well. And I'm not allowed to say this, but they are going to carry on with that scheme now. Uh, every Saturday, I believe, starting from the end of Feb. And surely that's got to kind of create, a, a, take pressure off the NHS anyway. Not just the NHS, but the police as police, well. So yeah. if the police see somebody who's drunk and they've fallen over in the streets, they have to wait with them until the ambulance arrives. Right. Um, so purely from a financial business point of view, it cost about six, £700 to do one of these safety havens. It costs the NHS £700 every time someone walks over the threshold, even if they just sit in a and to sober up. So... You know, we were we were preventing ten to twelve people from going to hospital every Saturday night. So it's kind of a no brainer. I think it's an amazing idea. Um, I saw a tweet that you're going to make your direct messages public because of the an increased risk of mental health issues with people who are in the nighttime economy. Yeah, so statistically, yes, if you work in, in the nighttime economy, and so we class the nighttime economies between the hours of six p.m. in the evening and six a.m. in the morning. But if you think of all the shift pattern workers and the people that work behind bars or restaurants, especially in the winter when they were finishing at three, four, five in the morning, there's this culture where you've seen everybody on the other side of the bar having fun. Mm-hmm. So you have, it's a phrase we're all aware of, a lock-in. Everyone yeah. has a couple of beers and then they tend to go back to someone's house and mm-hmm. have a few more drinks. And then by the time they get back to bed and wake up for the next shift, you don't see any light. You know, it's dark mm-hmm. constantly. So... People who work in the nighttime economy statistically do suffer from mental health issues more than people that work nine to five jobs. 
And I was really touched this weekend by the whole Caroline Flack incident. Um, I thought, well, what can I do to help? Um, And that was it. I just opened up my DMs on Mm. socials, on, on Twitter, and quite a few people contacted me yesterday. One guy I'm going to speak to now when I get back to the car. So really, this is so... And I never expected this, but a couple of people said, look, we know what you do with warehouse and part life and the role and stuff like that. We know you're very, very busy. Are you okay? And I thought that was so so nice nice. for people to actually Mm. uh, come out and say that. And then the other thing, which I didn't think through properly, is I've got an endless list of people wanting guest list, <laughs> which is really annoying. So I think what... Another account. <laughs> no, I was thinking on the way here, what do I do to stop that? I'm just going to start outing them. Screen grabbing. <laughs> yes, And that's fair. it. I think I'll just screen I'll grab a few and I'll shut them do, up. It'll soon start, won't yes. it? Um, you'd known for giving back to the city. Obviously, you've been involved um, closely with Andy Burnham as well and the, kind of the bed every night and homelessness issue. I mean, I have to say, you know, over the years, and I know you're... You, work closely with him mm-hmm. as well um, and I don't know your opinion of him but I've met many, many politicians and you kind of think they have this smile that's just for the public. Um, behind closed doors, he's probably one of the most passionate, caring people I've ever met and, you know, he donates 15% mm-hmm. of his salary to Bed Every Night campaign yeah. and when I, he sometimes, I see him once a month when he puts that up, I've donated it and people give him a kicking for I it. Know. And say, oh, you know, what are you on a big wage? And, you know, he cares so much about it. And you've only got to look at the stats. We are bucking the whole of the UK with our stats for the homeless and rough sleeping. I think the last I heard it was down 37%, whereas in most other cities it's increasing, it's escalating. Mm. He introduced the R-Pass system for the first time ever. Kids across Greater Manchester can get on transport completely free of charge from 16 to 18. I wouldn't have even dreamt of that when I was at that age. Mm. Um, He's done so many good things for this city, he really has. And I think, you know, I'm... I got asked this weekend... Do you think he'll ever become prime minister again, or leader of leader of the Labour Party? And, and my answer was, I really hope not, because we need to keep him in, in Greater Manchester. <laughs> Being selfish about yeah, it, exactly. yeah, exactly. And let's be honest: when a load of Manx, hundreds of thousands of Manx, actually vote for a Scouser to lead this city. He's got to bring something right, hasn't Absolutely. he? Absolutely, yeah. And he's very humble. I've been out on street cuts with him and with obviously Judge uh, King from School Fades, and uh, it's you know he's true. He's he's very. He's got integrity. He's a he? human. He yeah. really is. Yeah. Um, do you think it's important for business leaders and and kind of politicians to actually give back to the city to use their platforms? I think it's yeah, it's absolute uh, key. Whether that's time, whether that's money, I don't, I don't know how that looks, but. When a city's allowed you to achieve certain things, then you have to stop and give it back. And mm. certainly this city's allowed me to have opportunities and chances that, you know, who else is going to let someone put a rave on a disused railway station for mm. 10,000 people every Friday and Saturday? When I first approached them and said I want to put weekly raves on in Boddington's Brewery, you know, crazy. Yeah. And they allowed it. Yeah. A disused car park every weekend from 2007 <laughs> till present day. You know, they allow these things to happen. Did you go into ask that fully believing that you get the a guess a yes, though? How did you first approach thing I did that? With Bonington's Brewery, was I had a cup of tea with Pat Carney. Right. And yeah, he was he was supportive of the idea straight away. But he's always been great. Mm. When they wanted to close the Hacienda down, Pat was very. When I say them, I'm talking about the police. Pat was very vocal in keeping it open. I remember him making a speech actually on one of the birthdays. I think the person who was most surprised actually was the landlord because, and I didn't lie, but when I first sat down with him, 
He's like, he says, so what do you want to do? And he's a really serious property business guy. He was Iranian. And he, uh, I sold it to him as I want to put some dance parties on there, which is completely the truth. That's what we do. We put on mm. dance parties. But I sort of sold the idea to him. It's like, you know, the dance parties from World War Two when you, you just see them sat on the side and then th- th- I think that's what he expected. <laughs> and on the opening weekend, he came down, this big cigar and walked in. When you have tricked me. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, kind of. But I've not lied, have I? <laughs> I know. I can just imagine it, actually. And yeah. <laughs> um, what would you say that you've been most proud of in your career? I think for me the most proud moments, bearing in mind I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do for a living. Um, I didn't have any qualifications, you know, I didn't have any opportunities, but somehow now I advise the mayor on the nighttime economy, it's got to be, for me, my proudest moments, proudest achievements. Mm. And I'd like to think more can happen, Um, but yeah, well, let's see. Do you see your role going forward? Do you think you'll stay in music or do you think you kind of move into a more political career in some way? What, no, I'm what staying you in got? music. Are you? <laughs> they're far too, they're, I get asked this a lot, they're far too accountable. Yeah. Um, you know, whether you like him or not, I kind of, and I'm going to get it kicking for this, but when I saw Boris Johnson going on holiday or a picture of him and he was there in a suit um, and he, he was sat in economy. Now, I know Boris Johnson could if you want to do fly business class or first class, and that sends out the wrong message, you're just under that scrutiny the mm. whole time. That I could never, I could never do that. I get into trouble for saying the wrong things mm. at, at my level quite often, so I don't think I'd last two minutes to be <laughs> honest. Is there anything that you've had to do in your life that you were scared about doing, but did it anyway? Uh, yes. So last year I jumped out of an aeroplane. Um, and I do hate heights. The other thing, actually, which is which was a really dark moment for us, was back in 2013 um, at one of our events. We had a customer who became quite poorly, and he was taken to hospital and sadly didn't make it. A guy called Nick Bonney. So at the time, there were loads of uh, drugs going around the northwest that were killing people. They had something in there called PMA. So I honestly believe out of every tragedy, something positive has to come out of it, mm. as we discussed before with, with the MEN arena attack. Um, and now we have Martin's Law, which came out mm. of it. So I said to Sam, let's hold a press conference um, at the Malmaison. And it, we were told categorically by the PR company, don't do it because it would you know, be the worst thing you can do. You'll escalate it. But I didn't believe them. So we had this big press conference and, and, you know, just the two of us were sat there. It was so intimidating. We were really extremely nervous. We were shitting ourselves. Uh, we had cameras pointed at us. There was press, uh, paper press there, um, radio. And my idea was, look, this is happening in the Northwest. We need to educate kids because it's not going to go away. You know, drugs isn't something for this decade. It's been here for decades. Mm. And in fact, in decades time, it's still going to be here. So do me a favour. Let's use this as an example and spread the word. And they didn't. They did exactly what my PR company said they'd do. And you'd probably advise me now not to have done the press conference. But um, I think the evening news ran with Super Club, Super Death Club boss speaks out or something. And that was the headline. And my mum saw that in Altrincham, you know, on the billboards outside yeah. and burst out into tears. Oh. So, you know, that was a really scary moment for us. Not just that press conference, but that whole kind of month and we would we were questioning whether to carry on with warehouse projects or not which I'm, I'm glad we did mm. um but that's why you hear me so vocal now yeah. about educating people 
Absolutely. You're very clear on that, aren't you? Every time, yeah. yeah every month. I think that it's pragmatic, isn't it? It's not going to go away necessarily. Well, any, any operator in the in the UK that says, um, yeah, I have a nightclub, but I can tell you now, categorically, there's no drugs in there. They're either thick or they're a liar because they are everywhere. Yeah. And furthermore, if you can't stop drugs getting to a Category A prison, how am I supposed to stop them getting to part life? Mm. It's impossible. You know, it's absolutely impossible. So you have to mitigate as much as you can. Are there any people in Manchester that really particularly stood out for you? Obsessed with Eric Cantona. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I really like Liam Gallagher. Um, Notice I only mentioned one of them there. (laughs) Um, I was a huge Smiths fan, uh, obsessed with a lot of the Manchester scene. Mm. Tom Bloxham, who I mentioned before, definitely. I think uh, Sir Howard Bernstein... After the original IRA bomb, he was the architect for the city. There there are some, clearly, obviously, Andy Burnham. Mm. Um, There's some incredible people who've come through Manchester. Mm. Um, And it's weird. We're all sort of interconnected. It's just so bizarre. I don't know what it is, but... So we can all get hold of these people within... Is, is it something... I saw Thomas something once about there's a seven-step rule or an eight-step rule or how you can get to someone. I think in Manchester it's a two-step rule. Well, I've just... I'm one from the Pope now after a meeting this morning. I actually can't believe it. One of our clients is actually having um, a meeting at the Vatican. So Obviously. Yeah, seriously. Because, I mean, yeah, so... But I think it's a Manchester thing as well. I think... Yeah. Um, and I, what I really love about the city is the fact that once you build a relationship, as long as you look after it... It's there forever. Yeah. I mean, I remember coming out of the last recession. It had been horrendous. And I was on the train going down to London. And I looked up and how so Howard was walking down the thing to get off. And he just nudged me and went, you're right, love. You're still here then. And I just thought, you know, people remember you in Manchester because if you've been good to them and you've done stuff for them and helped them, yeah. it's always there. It's just massive loyalty. Sir Howard, um, I think it was 2009, Wales budget was fully licensed, mm. but we didn't realise we had to have planning permission as well. And we had a call from the planners to say, um, what are you doing with this car park? Like, what are you talking about? And it was a week before the season was about to start. We'd sold out completely. It was live on Radio 1. I think it was Pete Tong or Annie Mac, I can't remember. And they said, no, you can't operate. We were sold out. And it's live to the whole of the world on Radio 1. So we managed somehow to get in front of Sir Howard, and we were sat like two little naughty schoolboys, uh, eight in the morning outside his office. And he turned up and he sat down. We explained, he just said, that's nonsense. Made a phone call and that was it. Really? And we did put the planning in at yeah. that point, but his view was just so pragmatic and common sense. Yeah, good guy. Yeah. I don't, he doesn't. His wife doesn't like me, apparently, because on the first part life, uh, she caught someone wing in a garden. <laughs> um, so now when it happens, we have steel shield all the way around it. She can't escape for the weekend, so she probably hates me even more. <laughs> oh my God. On that, I was I was looking at something that you'd put on social, which I loved about how um, how proactive and how resourceful Mancunians are, because there's a, almost like a micro industry surround, in people's gardens around part life now. You said like an Airbnb. That? I love that story. One of the local residents. Yeah. He's put he's put three tents up in his garden, <laughs> a portaloo. You can charge your phone. You get snacks on arrival, which is good, <laughs> and you get a full English breakfast after it. It's £280 per person per night, and it is sold out. It's so brilliant, that. That's good. It's great. But every, when I leave after every part life, 
Local residents have got trellis tables at the bottom of the drive and they're selling bottles of water. Samosas are very popular. And one guy last year had his um, printing machine at the bottom of the drive and if you needed to print your ticket out, it was two quid. Just amazing. It's great. (laughs) All the adventures stuff. (laughs) Do you um, see yourself always staying in the city or have you kind of got... um, you know, to move mm, somewhere else? I do. I've, have, I've not so much recently, but I've toyed with the idea eventually of Italy. I love Italy. Mm. It's my favourite, second favourite country in the world. But I think I'm going to remain in, in Greater Manchester, unless I'm kicked out for some <laughs> other reason. <laughs> yes. We have a saying in, in Roland Johnsville, it's all we, we're about creating purposeful relationships. Yeah. What for you um, is kind of the ingredient for a great relationship, would you say? What's, what's well, I've got this, this document in front yeah. of me, and I really the ones that jump out, I like the word integrity there. Mm. We say thank you, loyalty always. And you kind of touched on it before. You know, we are all the same. We're all human beings. We're all born. We're all going to die. Nothing makes anybody better than the person next to you. And I think we have to remember that. And I think even more so in the last five years, I worry about the the way the world's changing. It feels like so much hatred in the world. Um, And I kind of, I don't like it. I don't like the way it's going. I think you just have to be nice to people the whole time. I mean, not in a cheesy way, but, you know, it doesn't, when when I turn up at Warehouse Projects, I try my very best to remember all the names of the crew, some of the bar staff, the cleaners, and I'll go out of my way just mm. to say hello to them. Yeah. Uh, how are you doing? It doesn't cost anything to spend mm. a few minutes. You know, if I see somebody's having a bit of a crappy time on socials, you know, I will go into the DMs if it, if they're open and maybe give them a guest list or something. Because it doesn't cost me anything, and it means the world to somebody. Um, so yeah, I just think just just be cool. Don't be. There's so many pretentious mm. knobheads out there. Mm. Um, there's so many places I avoid, like the plague, because I know if I walk through those doors, I'll be wound up immediately. Uh, and I could list them all to you now, but I don't want to any no. lawsuits. <laughs> I'm not going to. Um, but yeah, we don't have any dress code at Warehouse Projects. It's just come in, just be you, have fun. And I think that's the way everybody should just be with each other. What relationships um, would you say that you get most out of um, currently? And you can include Pickle in that if you want to. <laughs> I mean, Pick, Pickle's great. He is brilliant. So, he's, so Pickle, as you know, is my miniature yeah. dash hound. He's like, so weird. You can go out in the morning. And unfortunately, since he was in the office today, he comes to the office most days, but sometimes if I have really early meetings, he stays in the house. So he'll be in the house by himself for about eight hours. I'll come back. He'll hear me. He's at the back door going mental mm. with his tail going absolutely nuts. Monday for me is bin day. So last night I took the bin out. It only takes me 30 seconds to wheel it out of the gate. Come back. He's doing the same thing. <laughs> like, obviously, he's got no idea of time or, or and It's just odd. Um, obviously, my fiancé, you know, I've got, I've got a, a very, very small set of friends who I can call on. Um, and I, do you know what? I prefer it that way as well, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I can probably list them on, on one hand. Um, and I think that's that's much healthier for me mm, having yeah. it that way so just a few um quick questions do you have a famous manchester expression a one that you use a lot the one that demi takes the piss out of the most is apparently and to me i don't think this is mank but i just say you are like that yeah 
You're you're right. Right. Yeah, you're right. Right. <laughs> but I don't think that's monk. Yeah. I think it is quite monk. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> City or United, I know the answer. I mean, don't even bother asking that question. Clearly, there's only one. <laughs> the city is red. <laughs> you did come to Vincent Company's. Uh, testimonial event. I came to support. Yes, the, the, I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> we all did that. I had to tell him up front I was a red. Um, pine chips or fish and chips? Hundred percent fish and chips. Yeah. And do you? Is there a most? Is there a view of Manchester that you love most that kind of gets your heartstrings? Well, I'd, yeah. So driving in in the evenings when it's dark and driving to warehouse projects, I love all the red lights on the cranes at yeah. the moment, and I think that sends out a, such a strong signal what's happening in in the city region at the moment. Controversially, I don't particularly like some of the stuff it's building, actually. I think Manchester, to me, is raw, gritty, mm. industrial. And there's a lot of shiny stuff that doesn't really resonate with me. It's a bit too clinical. Um, my favourite building in Manchester is the Grand Central. That's mm. still called GMX. Yeah. Just when it's empty... Um, there's no exhibition on in there and you walk in and you look at that roof it's spectacular I'd love to put a gig on in there yeah. um, and there were many gigs there in were. there I used to go a lot James yeah. was one of the best ones there yeah and the Smiths yeah. were there the yeah. Mondays were there uh, there was a huge rave in there called Fantasia back in 97, I think it was. But um, it's been some incredible events. But yeah, that's my favourite building. I love that one. And how would you sum up Manchester's citizens? It's, it's humans of Manchester. Kind, cocky, <laughs> swagger, down to earth. Brilliant. <laughs> sums it up really Sasha thanks so much for joining us today no, it's been absolutely you. brilliant to talk to you thanks so much thank you. thank you Sasha is such a leader and the fact this city has someone in charge of the nighttime economy tells you a lot about Manchester and he continues to work at keeping party goers safe but right now events worldwide are cancelled and postponed meaning the industry has gone on hold so how has Sasha reacted to this I got onto a video call with him and found out Hi Sasha, how are you doing? I'm good Lisa, how are you? I'm great, thank you. A lot's changed um, since we recorded the podcast, so I thought it'd be good to catch up and see how you've been getting on in lockdown. I know you've been extremely busy. Um, what's What have you seen, what changes have you made in the last couple of weeks? I mean, it, since we last spoke, it's crazy. So obviously the first thing that, that jumps to mind immediately is uh, part life. Uh, we cancelled part life. Which, you know, we knew a couple of weeks beforehand it was coming, but we had to get our back of house in order, um, really. And Sam and I were expecting a bit of a backlash. But you know what? It never happened. Customers, suppliers, everybody was so supportive and they really understood that we did it for the right reasons. And again, we also, before the government turned around and, and asked bars and restaurants to shut, we closed Warehouse Project down. We were doing a, a series of smaller shows that were just 3,000 capacity, and we shut them because it, was just, it wasn't socially responsible to go ahead. Um, and actually, nobody said to us, part life can't happen. Um, but it wasn't right. It really wasn't. So, yeah, that was, that was the first thing. But we're going to be back next year, bigger, bolder. We're excited. We're already planning it. There were so many amazing things we're going to be doing this year that are now going to happen next year so um yeah just onwards we're looking forward to the end of the year and you've been really um supportive of the hospitality sector haven't you from day one when we we did that piece of pay it forward together um have you been getting any feedback from kind of peers um in that sector over the last couple of weeks of how they're faring 
Yeah, I mean, it's not normally I'm quite a positive person, but it's it's tough out there. Um, you know, I'm I'm more of a, a big supporter of the independents, really, not the large scale chains. It's great what they do, um, but the independents that you know the the small family businesses, um, they're the ones that I'm more concerned about. And it's it's tough. I mean, I have to say it's not people probably know where my political allegiances lie, but this isn't a, a moment for pointing fingers or point scoring. And I actually think what the government have done has been pretty good on the whole, um, you know, in terms of business rates and, and VAT and, and things like that. I think what they have done with the grants, they've not come out quick enough. I don't know anybody yet that's actually received the grants and the self-employed people. Um, okay. That was great, but it was, um, firstly, it came not quick enough and then people can't wait until June. To, to get it out if it is going to be June so you know I'm talking about I've got friends who are DJs in bars who live week to week to week you know never mind month to month and all of a sudden the tap was turned off so how are they expected to live and survive so that's just the, the one niggle I had but on the whole I think they've done a pretty good job it seems like Manchester's need to party hasn't been suppressed even in times like this and you've been making sure that they can still have a party in the kitchen can you tell us a bit more about United We Stream? Yeah, it doesn't have to be the kitchen. It can be the lounge, the dining room, the bedroom, wherever. But um, so I'm in a, a WhatsApp group with other night advisors um, across the world, some amazing countries like Australia, um, New York, LA, uh, Lithuania, India. I can go on and on. There's about 36 of us. And Berlin started doing something great. They said, look, the nightclubs are shut. Let's put a DJ in the nightclub and let's stream the music out there. And it's completely free to watch it. But, guys, whilst you're doing it, maybe buy a virtual ticket, whether it's one euro, two euros, three euros, and that'll go straight back out to help the nighttime economy. So I picked up the phone to uh, Lutz and Merrick, who set it up, and said, can we do something similar in Greater Manchester? And they said, yeah, it'd be brilliant. So we actually do – it's unitedwestream.co.uk. We had a soft launch last weekend. We've got a big launch this weekend. And then, you know, we, we try to do things as best we possibly can – so I don't know what time this is going out. This is going out tomorrow morning. Okay, fine. Well, it might it might be an exclusive. If it is, it is. Bugger it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this Saturday is going to be pretty special. I mean, obviously, we're, we're on Friday night with Paulette. Saturday is um, a 12-hour party. So we're going to start off at, tw at midday, where all the Manchester Hacienda DJs are coming together um, it's a Hacienda house party. So the likes of Graham Park, John De Silva, Mark XDC, people like that. They're going to play for about five, five and a half hours. Then we're going to stop for a Q&A where it'll be Sean Ryder, Hooky, Graham Park, where John Rob's going to be asking them questions about the Hacienda for an hour. And people can join in live and they can ask them questions. And then don't even ask me how this is going to work, but it will work. We're joining Manchester with Atlanta, New York, and Detroit. And we've got David Morales, Todd Terry, and Roger Sanchez. Um, and, you know, that is like the biggest thing we've ever done. It's just in incredible. So I'm urging everybody, stay in with your family, have a house party, you know, because it's so important, especially these next few days, it's going to be hot. You have to stay in. It's really key. And don't be having people around to have a party. That is not what this intention's for. Um, just 
party with your family. That's it. But, you know, in terms of Twitter being on the phone, they're going to be feeding it. It's Twitter live. Um, it's, you know, it's a global thing. Everyone's going to look at Manchester this weekend. So behave. Love that. Everybody's going to be watching Manchester this weekend. <laughs> Just quickly, um, we talked last time um, we got together about people using their platforms to help other people. Um, have you, what kind of this week has made you be proud to be a Mancunian? So there's so many acts of random kindness. What's made you be proud to be a Manc? Yeah, I mean, it's what's amazing about our city region, as always happens, we saw it in 2017. In times like this, unprecedented times, you're always going to see heroes, you're always going to see zeros. Um, you know, Greater Manchester Police asked me to put a call out for hand sanitizer. Um, and Disby Gin saw that and they stopped full production of gin and they started creating hand sanitizer for the front line because they needed the alcohol content. Um, you know, again, a, a big paint company did it. Um, Corinne Bell and Mary Ellen have gathered together loads of volunteers and loads of chefs and said, look, we know restaurants are closing. Give us your stock, give us your food. And they'd be creating meals that people have been taking to the most vulnerable. Yourselves, Roland Dransfield, you came up with this amazing idea, Pay It Forward, where people can buy almost credit notes for meals when the restaurant's open, to, in, in, whether it's June, July, September, to help cash flow. Um, you know, there's some amazing stories out there. It's, it's really good and it's, nice, it's heartwarming to see. Well, listen, Sasha, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you're really busy and you've got a house party to organise. So, Thanks so, listen, so much. Really don't forget <laughs> unitedwestream.co.uk. And please, it is completely free to watch. But if you can spare a pound, two pounds, three pounds, I know you've got some very, very wealthy listeners. Put your hands in your pockets. <laughs> Stop being tight. We're spending all this time doing it. Spend some bloody money. Go on the website, donate, because you're helping loads of people. 70% is going to the nighttime economy to support them. So the people like the, the crew, the techies, the lampies, the DJs, you know, staff, 22% goes to the mayor's fund. So it helps the most vulnerable across the city region, like the rough sleeping, for example. And then 8%, the balance goes to Nordoff Robbins, which is a charity that supplies um, music therapy to enrich kids' lives who maybe have autism or something. So get off your bum, get your credit card out, log on and make a payment. Thank you. Good man. Thanks so much, Sasha, and, great, and good luck with that for this weekend. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. So the physical party might have stopped, but Manchester is still dancing in its kitchens and living rooms and creating connections on the dance floor. In the next episode, you're going to meet Mancunian Sarah Collins. Sarah is a key player in the rise of sport for women and young people in the city, and she spent the last 30 years as a broadcast journalist sharing the stories of Manchester's finest sporting moments. And we had the Commonwealth Games in 2002, and you had all the Londoners going, it's going to rain, it's going to be rubbish, and it was beautiful sunshine, and I laughed my head off because it looked mint on the television. This is a podcast from Roland Dransville PR. Our mission is to build purposeful relationships in all we do. If you do want to talk to us, give us a call on the same number we've had for 23 years, 0161 236 1122.